Aloha, everyone. This is Tasha with Ellie Live Action on the beautiful island of Maui, and you are listening to T.W. Smith at Kung Fu Podcast, where you explore the culture, adventure, and impact martial arts has. So turn off that TV and turn up your speakers. Exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what Kung Fu Podcast is all about. And I'm your host, T.W. Smith. I greatly appreciate you allowing me to be part of your martial arts journey. You are in the audience of some of the finest and sharpest martial artists in the world. People that put in a great deal of care, great deal of sweat to honing their craft. Before we get started in today's podcast, I want to explain a little bit about why has it been so long since I released the last episode. There are several different things that have happened over the past couple of months that's taken all my schedules and moved them around until I could finally start to find some sweet spots again to where I could sit down, do my research, and then put together a podcast to the same standard that we've always been used to here. One of the biggest things that's happened, we had to make some major life changes to make sure that my son had a chance of pursuing his dream in wrestling. We moved him to a new high school, and that was no easy decision to have your son leaving the house two years earlier than expected. But if we were going to give him a chance to be his best, we had to make a change. I can tell you it's been absolutely fantastic to see him develop in an incredible program and with some outstanding coaches, but that in itself was one big part. Another huge factor is the fact that after 16 years of being a solopreneur, working in the clinics, still working in different types of uh, facilities, and then of course having the martial arts school, an opportunity presented itself and I was offered a position as a clinical program manager for a regional hospital. My primary responsibility is to take patients that are referred from a basically a total of 475 providers with combinations of diagnoses from Alzheimer's, knee hip replacements, peripheral vascular disease, cancer, and about 50 other diagnoses, and consult with them on appropriate training for them that will contribute to the treatment of their concerns. Prescriptions of exercise and activities may include Tai Chi, yoga, strength training, cardio flow, and in some cases, even martial arts. This is a great time to remind you that whether you're a practitioner or teacher of the martial arts, many of the things that we do so regularly, almost to a point we forget that we actually do it because it's just part of what we do, actually contribute to the offset of many types of disease or concern processes. In fact, some of the training that we do even delays the onset of high-risk hereditary processes. For example, decision-making during focus mitt drills is amazingly beneficial for cognitive disorders such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and dementia. This role has been fantastic, and it's also been a huge undertaking. And these past couple of months has been many hours of organization and development, not to mention also seeing patients and writing reports to physicians. Then also in exactly this time period over these past 60 to 75 days, my mom had a heart attack, literally while I was sleeping on the couch at 3 a.m. We had to get her to the hospital, and she was there for over two weeks. 
And to be honest, there was a while there it was touch and go of whether or not she was going to make it. Then after her heart stabilized and, you know, we knew that there was going to be some damage there, she got more stable and then her kidneys began to fail. She continued to fight, though, and it was so wonderful to watch my mom put together her internal strength. And she got home before Thanksgiving and she's been working hard at it and taking care of herself since then. And that is where I have been over the past 90 days. And not to mention, and I was extremely excited to finally get everything arranged and able to make the former Tibetan Kung Fu podcast and the whole library of Kung Fu podcasts, my personal notes, and many other, the, uh, other publications I've made over the years available over for the patrons. That's been a huge pressure, and I'm just glad to finally have that out there and it's going to continue to build as the months to go. Now everyone who's a patron has access to hundreds of publications that I've done for over the past five years and I really appreciate your patience. Now let's get to the program. When women exercise alone. This is an amazingly difficult topic. And in fact, part of my research as a clinical program manager had me researching uh, the effects of different types of exercise. And along that path, I ran across a couple of articles associated with the safety for women as they're exercising, and specifically running and the unbelievable high percentage of women that have been assaulted or stalked while they're exercising. You may remember Karina Vetrano. She was a 30-year-old who was brutally strangled and sexually assaulted on August the 2nd, 2016, while she was going for a run in a park near her Howard Beach, Queens home. Janelle Lewis was arrested for the murder of Karina Vetrano. The murder went to trial, then there was a mistrial declared in November of 2017. So we're already a year past her murder. On April 23, 2019, Janelle Lewis was found guilty on three counts of murder and one count of sexual abuse. Her father is a retired New York City firefighter, a first responder at 9-11. Her murder happened in the late afternoon in a park just a couple of blocks from her home. She was struck in the back of the head with a rock and the police detective said she fought ferociously and bit him so hard that her teeth cracked. The fighting didn't spare her life, but it collected so much DNA in her nails, in her mouth, and even on her phone, which appears to have been the only weapon of opportunity she had. I ran across this story as I was doing the research in Runner's World magazine, and it had an October 2019 article by Kristen Yu titled, Women Deserve to Run Without Fear. During their article, she mentions stories of stalking and assault threats. For example, someone slowly trailing a person in a car. The jogger must learn tricks of weaving into traffic to lose them. Beyond the criminal acts of stalking, robbery, sexual assault, some of these women are targeted even by human traffickers. In a recent Runner World survey, a massive 84% of women said that they have experienced some kind of harassment while running that had left them feeling unsafe. That includes physical actions like groping 
are being followed or flashed, as well as more subtle forms like catcalls, honks, and lewd comments. The women, when they were exercising, had to learn how to change path midstream, even if there was no physical evidence, but something felt off. They had to circle their destination point a couple of times just to see if anyone was watching. They had to learn how to carry something with themselves. For example, putting your phone in a hard case so you can use it like a small brick if you needed to. Some actually learned to use a stun gun, which is legal to carry in North Carolina. A tactical LED rechargeable flashlight could also serve as another weapon. Some have started using sound blasters, which are small. They put a high decibel sound out into the air, which attracts attention. You know, not only do criminals hate potential victims that fight back, they hate noise, attention makers, and, you know, probably having electricity shot through their veins is a nice little deterrent as well. So you want to make sure that if this comes to bout, you're prepared to give them a lot of what they don't want. As you may be aware of, but I'll be honest, I wasn't aware of it as much as I am now after doing the research for this podcast, that there are several high-profile stories of women who have been killed while running. Uh, for example, Molly Tibet, Vanessa Marcotte, Karina Vetrano, who which you mentioned at the beginning of the program, Alexandra Brueger, and as well as Wendy Martinez. Their stories spread on social media, which also stoked fear and anxiety among many women runners. As I was reading through this, the research led me down to a study, which was titled Stomp Street Harassment. It was published in 2019, and here are some of the highlights from their executive summary. Key points, 81% of all women will experience sexual harassment or assault. 50% of the women will be sexually touched in some unwelcomed way. 25% survived sexual assault. Well, one of the things this reminded me of, as well as reminding me of some of the stories that Tashiana uh, had told us, and that's why I had her introduce this program, is that not all of this occurred in some dark alleys or shady parks. Many times the sexual harassment most often occurred in a public place. In fact, they stated, quote, women most frequently reported experienced sexual harassment in a public space like a street, park, or store, and that was 68% of the women, or at their workplace or school, and that was 38% of the women. Those women who reported sexual harassment alone were most likely to report that a stranger committed it, while those reporting assault and as well as harassment were most likely to say that someone close to them was involved in the abuse. The study also said that sexual harassment and assault causes people, and particularly women, to feel anxiety or depression and to prompt them to change their route or their regular routines. Among those who reported experienced sexual assault or harassment, 30% of the women and 18% of the men said they felt anxiety or depression. 23% of the women changed their route or their routines, and 22% of these women also ended a relationship, such as a friendship or romantic partnership that they were involved in on account of these experiences. I extended my research some, and I've come to find out this isn't just something that happens in the United States. This is an international problem. There are thousands of downloads of Kung Fu podcasts coming from the UK, so 
I decided I would look there next. When you go to look up street harassment in the United Kingdom, the first thing that pops up is planuk.org. It has a title that states, quote, street harassment every day. Girls across the UK are being harassed in public places. Join us as we stand with them and say it's not okay, end quote. The UK government has recognized street harassment as a form of gender-based violence and with similar current statistics that I just reported here in the USA. For example, 42% of the girls who were sexually harassed didn't tell anyone as well. Amongst girls aged 14 to 21, 66% have experienced unwanted sexual attention or harassment in the public place. These trends on the sexual harassment of women in public places are unfortunately without borders. If you're a parent, you have to have open talk times with your friends, children, wives, so that they can speak with you openly about their experiences without any fear of being shamed, guilted, or even trying to solve their problem, just trying to be a listener. Another tangent to this story that didn't hit me until a little bit later is that the number of women who are much more independent today than the generations past are also targeted. The March 2019 New York Times article stated, quote, adventurous alone attacked. The number of female solo travelers have skyrocketed. But amid Instagram-worthy escapades are tales of violence and death, raising questions about how the world is greeting women who travel alone, end quote. At Shape.com, there was a very good article titled, What Women Are Doing to Feel Safe While They Run. And this was very informative. Besides things that we mentioned earlier, women walk jog with keys in between their knuckles, of course, without music sometimes, one lady reported that an officer stopped her once and told her that she needed to get some pepper spray or a knife. A keychain that also serves as a set of brass knuckles was also another recommendation. And I thought of Tasha as I was doing this because remember in our interview together, she spoke about how many times male martial artists will give unrealistic advice to a woman as if she wasn't a woman. But it still leaves us with the question, as martial arts instructors and practitioners, what are we going to do with this and how can we help? Certainly there's plenty of grounds to create public awareness, perhaps even in your small community, a seminar that brings out these scary statistics and the locations and how these violent acts are taking place. You could even use this podcast as a reference so they could get a lot of these statistics just right there on their phone. Uh, set up a small three or four week course to assist in combative techniques and weapons of opportunity. No, that's not ideal, but in my mind, anything is better than no thing, especially when you're just trying to help generate awareness. But if we don't do anything, we're not helping anybody. I would also encourage you in the programming to listen to Ian Abernathy's podcast on the criminal mind, illuminating on the problem that a criminal can oftentimes do more with a brick than most black belts or equivalents can do with 10 katas. Also, just because I focused on the female statistics mostly in this program, as a male martial artist, 
don't naturally assume that you are safe. I've reported several times on this program that even, for example, a Marine out on a jog can get attacked and almost put into the bed of a truck. In my view, if you are a young adult, ages 14 to 25, and you go exercising alone, for example, uh, there's some areas that might become a little bit more private or hidden areas, then you need to be on yellow and orange alert the whole time you're exercising and be somewhat weaponized. Human traffickers cannot be underestimated as part of the criminal element that we may have to deal with in our communities. As part of a solution resource, NBCNews.com had an excellent article titled, Scared to Run Alone? Women runners share their best safety tips, and I would say it's a must read if you have any concerns about this subject at all. They say it's impossible to eliminate all the risks that come with running solo, but there are precautions that women can take for a safer and more enjoyable workout. They continue by making it clear, risk aversion is the key, not risk elimination, because risk elimination is impossible. You avert as many of the risk percentages as you can. In that article, they're gonna tell you that predators will attack or assault you usually when only no one else is around. Just like I described in the opening story with Katrina Vetrano, who went out on a jog by herself, even against her dad's wishes, because he was usually her jogging partner, but he had hurt his back and he was in the recovery of his injury at the time she decided to go on her jog. One of the female runners in the NBC article I mentioned earlier has a firm rule. She says, quote, if I'm running on a path and I don't see anyone for more than five minutes, I never run that path again, end quote. So we're going to close the program with a simple question. What are your rules before you exercise alone? Or if you're teaching or sharing this, what rules could you recommend? I will have the notes and the references available for the members to download at your convenience in a PDF format. I hope that you have a fantastic practice today and that you take care of yourself. And if you're a teacher of the martial arts, make a small impact on your community today. Take care, and I'll be talking with you again real soon.